and welcome to Mind Your Peas, the Purposeful Leader's Guide. We believe in all the peas, people, purpose, planet, even pizza and Prosecco. And this week, we're speaking to the wonderful Adele Harris, who is the Chief Executive Officer of MenCap, a charity known as the leading voice of learning disability. Adele's dedicated her career to purposeful work, having previously spent many years as the CEO of health and social care charity Cornerstone. And today, Adele is going to give us some insight into what it means to be a purpose-led leader in one of the biggest charities in the UK. So welcome, Adele. Thanks so much for, for joining us. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Please tell us a little bit about, about your role and MenCap and how it's all going. I started as CEO um, at Royal MenCap Society, um, which is our Sunday name, on uh, in January 2020. And after eight weeks in what was obviously a new job, but also for me personally, you know, a huge step up into a much larger charity and a much more complex organisation and a new life living in London. After eight weeks, um, COVID struck and we went into lockdown. So I think it has to be um, one of the most bizarre introductions, really, in terms of uh, a new role. And of course, that was uh, doubly uh, challenging because um, MenCap is one of the, the largest providers of social care services, um, in our case to adults with a learning disability and to some children with, with a learning disability across England and Wales and Northern Ireland. So not only was it a new job as a new CEO in the new organisation, we were absolutely at the forefront of managing um, the pandemic as it um, spread through society. So just a little bit about MenCap. Um, we are a learning disability charity, as I've already said, working in England and Wales and Northern Ireland. It's a very significant sized organisation. Um, our annual turnover sits at around 220 million and we employ 9,000 um, colleagues. And of course, like a lot of charities, we have a fabulous army of volunteers too. And in addition to providing adult social care services, we are best known, I think, as a campaigning and lobbying organisation with and on behalf of people with a learning disability and their families. And we also have a number of subsidiaries, including um, our housing association, Golden Lane Housing, Mencap Trust Company, um, and we provide a lot of information and advice services, employment programmes, quite a wide spectrum, but a great organisation. And um, in, a, in amongst the pandemic and everything else we've had to do this year, we are just about to launch our new big plan, um, the name that we give to our new strategic plan. Brilliant. Well, that is certainly some introduction to a new role in, in, a, in a huge organisation that's clearly making a difference. And I just want to touch on that you talked about, you know, the, the kind of changing policy Peace. Adele, you, you recently lobbied for vaccines, the coronavirus vaccines, to, um, to happen quicker for your beneficiary group. Just talk to us a bit about that. Well, thankfully, it ended up being a very successful campaign in the sense that in both, um, well, in all four countries, actually, of the UK, although we can't take any credit for the lobbying that uh, occurred in Scotland, but in all four countries of the UK, um, the decision was taken to include all people with a learning disability in at least priority group six for the vaccine rollout. Um, COVID has really shone a light on 
um, the inequalities that already exist in our society, already exist in our society for people with a learning disability. And when we saw the shocking statistics, in particular the report from Public Health England that was produced in November last year, that showed that people with a learning disability were up to six times more likely to die from COVID than their non-disabled peers. And the most shocking statistic of all was that if you were between 18 and 34 years old and had a learning disability, then you were up to 30 times more likely to die from COVID. So of course, when you're faced with evidence of such importance and such magnitude, um, you cannot ignore it. So although MENCAP was very instrumental in um, leading the campaign, um, we were ably uh, assisted by many other people, and most importantly, people with a learning disability themselves and their families, and a lot of self-advocacy groups. So we certainly didn't do this on our own. And of course, we did have the benefit of our great ambassador, Joe Wiley, who went through such a traumatic and personal experience with her sister, Frances, but was able to cut through, I think, into the public consciousness in a way that sometimes lobby groups and charities can't do alone. So yes, absolutely delighted with that outcome and the role that uh, I played and the role that MENCAP played, but I really want to give credit to all the others that were involved in, in making that, uh, that happen. Yeah, it's a fantastic achievement. And, and Adele, you know, 9,000 9, colleagues, 9,000 in the team. How, how do you create a, a people-focused, people-first culture? Well, when I first became the CEO at MENCAP, I have to say um, I was uh, impressed with what greeted me uh, literally and metaphorically at the front door on my, on my first day. So I would say that MENCAP has a long and good and proud history and legacy of being a values-driven, purpose-driven organisation. And so from that, uh, from that perspective, I guess I was enhancing something that was already there rather than bringing in you know, something new. But uh, obviously, as I went through the recruitment process to become the CEO, although I was very much being interviewed and tested for the job, I was also doing my own homework and my own research into the organisation to check that there was a values fit there. And there absolutely was. But um, particularly during the COVID pandemic and woven through absolutely implicitly in our new big plan is this emphasis on on people first we are a people business we want to be genuinely led by people with a learning disability and we want to continue to to listen to their needs and wants and make sure that we're a very agile and, and responsive charity and in order to do that we need to recruit the very best people that we can and when we have people within the MENCAP family, we want to ensure that their experience working for us or volunteering for us or donating or supporting us in some way is a good experience. So we don't just let it happen. We put so much, and I do personally, so much energy and focus and attention into being kind and genuinely uh, trying to look after all of the people that are associated with MENCAP. It's really important. And, and, you know, it's, it, it's, it's brilliant that people first um, statement, isn't it? But it's, sometimes it's really tough to do. What, what's going to be the challenges around that, Adele? I mean, it's, it's a massive undertaking. 
Yes, I think if I speak from my own perspective and uh, someone who's in the role of, of CEO, um, well, I say obviously, it would be almost impossible to ever be in a position where I could personally meet, you know, all, all 9,000 of my colleagues. And that's even if we'd never had the COVID pandemic, that's obviously made it even more difficult. Um, but as I said a moment ago, I do put a lot of effort into this and into trying to build up a personal, when I say personal, I don't mean a non-professional, but a, a personal relationship with, with colleagues. So communication has been absolutely critical during the pandemic. And um, I, I think we've learned, as a lot of organizations have, some really kind of imagined, imaginative and innovative ways of, of connecting with people in a way that we didn't before. So I certainly um, do my best in some practical examples. You know, I'll, I do a video every fortnight that seems to be well received and, and goes uh, out to all, the, all our colleagues and volunteers. I'm very conscious that's a one way kind of communication stream. So it's me talking at people rather than engaging in conversation. But I always stress um, that I'm available, um, that anyone can phone me, anyone can email me. Um, I've encouraged people through the COVID pandemic to invite me as long as it's not an intrusion um, to virtually visit some of our services, to join team meetings. And I certainly would hate anyone to think that because of the position I hold in some way, I'm not reachable or they're not important or I'm too busy. So although I think it gives my uh, colleague Sarah a challenge sometimes, okay. I always respond if I'm uh, if I'm contacted, because I think building up that relationship is is really important. Brilliant. That's um, that's good. And, and Adele, you've had a long career dedicated to supporting and advocating for people who who may be overlooked in society. And you've been at the helm of some of those. We've just talked about one of them, the vaccine significant successes. But what what have you learned along the way? What's what's the biggest piece of learning you can share? My goodness, um, so, so much. I think in the context of the question, um, I think having something that, that drives you. Um, I know lots of people who do lots of amazing and interesting work in so many different sectors and they will have their own you know, personal uh, motivations for being interested or passionate about what they do. Um, and for me, any time that I have ever wavered or doubted the purpose of both my role and the organisational role in, in whatever context, I would apply this to the police force in those early days of my career, to the work I did in the NHS as well as the third sector, then um, I think there is a lesson in that. So it, it is about having a purpose and feeling every day, however hard it is, because I don't want to make it sound um, you know, like I've got a halo or something and that working in the charity sector and having this passion to address inequality in some way carries you through. It's very, very hard work. Um, you have all the same challenges that you have in private business. Um, and there's been some very low moments at times during my career. But I think what I've learned is that if you have a really clear purpose and a passion and you know 
you have some clarity around what it is that you're trying to achieve, then that can pull you through. Yeah, and I'm delighted that you've you've said it. You know that that charities have the same challenges as as businesses, and I know you and I have chatted about this over over the years. Um, this principle of not for profits not having the same issues around budgets and and all that all that great stuff. What's what's your thoughts on that now, Adele? Well, um, far be it from me to tell off the lady that's interviewing me, but I hate that term, not for profit. I know you do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Because, you know, like any uh, organization, big, small, um, you you need to to generate um, a healthy, sustainable cash position, certainly uh, have financial stability is one of the measures in, in which you judge your performance and it's actually a real challenge in in the charity sector because um, both the charity commissioner and the other regulators and indeed the general public sometimes at times don't understand that there's a real fine balance between you know what is too much money for a charity to be holding in reserves um, in order to make sure they have a future and they can continue to do the great work that they do. And what is, uh, you know, what is too little to be financially sustainable. So that's always a balancing act. And as I say, for, for any size of, of charity, um, but more than ever, you know, at the moment, I think we've got to, again, go back to our purpose, why we exist. And if we want to be here, it's our 75th anniversary this year uh, at Mencap. If we want to be here in another 75 years, being led by people with a learning disability and responding to what they uh, need and and want us to do, then we need to be in a financially sustainable position. The only difference between a charity, I think, and a private sector business in this regard is what we do with that surplus. Um, We wouldn't call it a profit, of course, um, but we do need those cash reserves and we do need to be financially sustainable. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I totally agree with you. Um, so listen, let's, let's just chat a bit about your view on, on corporate responsibility or, or I suppose the catch-all, let's call it corporate responsibility, but, but there's lots of different terminology now um, around ESG and CSR and sustainability and so on. What's your thoughts on, on, on where it is now um, and I suppose initiatives that we that we promote such as employee volunteering and charity partnerships. Um, it's interesting isn't it because I don't know if it's because of Covid and we've all been massively distracted but I haven't been hearing those those words as often as we we maybe were five or ten years ago. Um, I like to think that's because the concept of corporate social responsibility is is more embedded now in, uh, you know, as almost an acceptable and required part of, of being good or doing good in, in business. But we know, of course, not every organisation necessarily calls it that. But we have seen some great examples, haven't we, from large corporates and from very small local businesses in the way that they've responded as part of their community to um, the, the pandemic. But I think for me, um, all organisations should think about corporate social responsibility, whatever they, they want to call it. And I would include charities in that because we are employers as well and we operate within local communities. 
too. So I think we need to think carefully about you know, our environmental policies, um, the sorts of businesses that we trade with and we give business to. Um, but I think supporting charities in the context of um, CSR is not anymore just about doing the right thing um, in terms of, you know, it's good to help charities. I think it's got huge, huge benefits for the company as well. Um, we're seeing all the evidence to suggest that consumers now are much uh, more keen to engage with a product uh, or a service if the company is associated in some way with, with a cause, with a good cause. Uh, we're seeing the benefits of having a strong CSR policy in terms of employee engagement, particularly among younger people who are being a bit more choosy, I think, about who they work for. And they like to see, you know, corporations who uh, put uh, an emphasis in this area. And I think the other really important aspect for us, and probably the, the often overlooked one, is organisations who value employing people with a disability. If you have a learning disability, I think the percentage at the moment of people with a learning disability in the UK who are in employment is between five and six percent. It's very, very low. Wow. And yet there's a lot of evidence to suggest that if you employ someone with a disability, a learning disability in particular, they make fantastic, loyal, long serving employees. So I'd like people to think of CSR as a little bit broader than just supporting charities and and uh, you know doing good and actually look at it in the round yeah and I love that because you know the the, the leaders that I've been speaking to and particularly in in our area are saying gosh you know we know we need to do more we know we need to do better we just don't know how um so you know there there is that that balance of you know, I had a conversation with someone the other day that said, I must dust off our CSR policy and actually bring it to life again. And I think, you know, the pandemic has heightened some of some of those um, senses, I suppose, and sensibilities to what's going on around you in your community. And that as employees, colleagues, as as um, customers, we're all human, we're all people, we're all working and living in communities that that we can, we can work towards making a better place, really. So um, so I really like some of that. Adele, let, let's just stick with this 5 to 6%, because that shocked me, that figure. Um, what, what can people do? So, you know, we, we know there are businesses that want to do more. They just don't know how. How would they go about supporting someone with a learning disability in employment? What's the best way to do that? Well, I think the very first step or the very first stage is an education piece, uh, actually. Um, learning disability is not always understood. Um, we saw that actually during the vaccination campaign that we referred to earlier and um, the lack of understanding of what a learning disability is as opposed to a learning difficulty where those words are often used wrongly and uh, sort of interchangeably. So I think in terms of a workplace, um, if uh, there is no exposure already to people who have a learning disability, then an education piece so that uh, employers and colleagues actually understand that, of course, if you have a learning disability, um, you will have certain challenges and obstacles to, to overcome, but actually that you also bring huge assets to the workplace so that would be the, the, the 
first point and, and there's lots of organisations, MENCAP included, and indeed people with a learning disability themselves as self-advocates who are very happy to, you know, come to staff meetings or do videos to explain what a learning disability is. We'd, we'd be very happy to uh, help any employer with that. The second point is would be around recruitment. And in the same way we're looking at the broader concept of equity, diversity and inclusion at the moment, it's a very hot topic, um, you know, it does call for us to challenge our thinking about the way we run our recruitment processes and think about equity of access to the process, particularly if you have a learning disability, you would require reasonable adjustments. So again, there's lots of people and organizations that can help uh, employers with that. And then once um, somebody is in your employment, it's treating them the same way you would treat anyone else and have a look at their individual needs because surely if you've given them a job, you want them to bring their whole self to work and you want them to flourish and do a brilliant job for you. So it's about understanding what that individual might need. And it will be individual, of course, but what they might need in order to help them to do a great job. Some organisations, you know, pair someone with a learning disability up with a colleague like a mentor or a coach. Um, some employment programmes have job coaches sort of built in. And of course, there are a lot of apprenticeship programmes and employment, government funded employment programmes out there. MENCAP runs a number, as do other charities like the National Autistic Society and others. So there is lots of information, and lots of help. Um, uh, you just need to make it a priority, I guess, and, and do a little bit of research. Um, but I would love to see society shift the dial on that percentage. And I hope by the time I leave MENCAP um, that we can see that that number has has risen. Yeah, that's really that's really powerful. And I just want to pick up on something you said there about making it a priority. Um, so, you know, that dusting off the CSR policy, that nice to have piece, it, it, you know, we, the stuff that we talk about is this should be at the core, right? This should be the core of your business is, you know, the the equity of access in recruitment, the equality and diversity, the, you know, looking at your um, gender balances and equalities and so on. So uh, it's easy to say, but very hard to do to get that balance, that balance right. And um, we're seeing a lot of um, great positive stuff in the B Corp movement at the moment, which is, which is fantastic because that's a real support network around some of this stuff. Um, and, and Adele, we, you touched on you know your nine thousand colleagues, including volunteers. How important are volunteers to you? Well, we have hundreds of uh, of volunteers at, at Mencap, and they are an absolute you know joy uh, to to work with. And the volunteering positions or roles within our organisation vary so much. I mean, we have a, a board of trustees, as you would expect who are all volunteers and who give enormous amounts of, of time and, and expertise to, to the organization. Um, we have a number of volunteers who are people with a learning disability themselves, although I really want to stress that we also employ uh, a number of people with a learning disability. And as part of our new big plan, we're setting ourselves targets to uh, employ even more people and to have people with a learning disability as part of our 
um, lead, wider leadership team too. I think this is really important. But we have a number of people with a learning disability volunteer in our offices when they're open, uh, in our campaigns team. A lot of our ambassadors, if you follow MENCAP on social media, you'll see some of the wonderful content that they produce um, speaking for themselves. And we have volunteers who work in uh, our retail uh, outlets. We have a number of uh, MENCAP shops in Wales and, and England, and we have a lot of volunteer. In fact, more volunteers, I think, work in our shops than, than uh, employed um, people. And we have a number of volunteers who take on fundraising activities for us, um, some major annual fundraising events um, when they're allowed to happen. Uh, after COVID are um, organised by volunteers and then within the communities that we serve we have community volunteers, uh, befrienders, um, activity enablers, people who um, uh, mentor and, and support people with a learning disability so it's a huge huge range but and we have corporate volunteers as well so uh, often the corporate partnerships that we form like the one we had with Virgin Money around the London Marathon last year. Um, that is more than people running the marathon, although that's really welcome, of course, and raising money for us. But it did involve um, a fair bit of corporate volunteering too. And, and, and Adele, so such a wide range. You know, you, you volunteer yourself on top of this huge job that you have. I think, um, was, were, you, were you the former director at Aberdeen Community Trust and you're, you're, you're on Robertson Trust? Talk to us a bit about your volunteering roles. Yes, at the moment, currently, I just have one volunteer um, trustee position, which is as a, a board member or trustee at the Robertson Trust, which is a, a Scottish um, grant maker. Although at the Robertson Trust, we're also embarking on a on the implementation of a new strategy where we're broadening out what we do around poverty, addressing poverty and trauma in Scotland um, to be more than simply a, a grant giver. Um, but I have volunteered well, for, for many years in different guises. So yes, I was a director of the Aberdeen Football Club Community Trust when it was first founded. And uh, that combined my passion and love of football with them, um, with community and with charity. I was also a volunteer at Aberdeen and Grampian Chamber of Commerce on their board for 10 years and was the president for, for two years. Um, and I was a volunteer Clydesider at the Commonwealth Games when they were hosted in <laughs> Glasgow, which I absolutely loved. So I, um, I imagine, and there's a, there's a longer list, but I won't go on. Um, I, I just imagine that I will always want to volunteer in, in some way, certainly when I've got more time to give. I, I just couldn't really keep any other things on when I took on the job at MENCAP. That was such a huge step up for me um, and obviously needed my time and attention. And the move to London obviously changed things a little bit. But um, I think volunteering is, is, yeah, it's wonderful. I can only think of good things and benefits that I have got, as well as benefits I hope I've brought to the the causes that I've tried to serve but um, I think it's a great way to um, make new friends to uh, learn you know a lot of the volunteer board positions I've held over the years have been great personal and professional development for me I would highly recommend it yeah and it is it is it's that um, we talk about the antidote to 
you know, I suppose work stress and 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 so on is is wholeheartedness and doing something for someone without expecting anything in return. But when you do it, it's almost like you want to. I want to bottle this feeling that you get from from volunteering and and sprinkle it all over um, because it, it does make such a difference. And we hear from lots of lots of our employee volunteers about the difference it's made for them, even if they thought they didn't have time. And you know, just a half hour a week just lifts them through that week of of whatever they choose to do. Um, so are there any sustainable or purpose-led businesses that you like to support yourself, Adele? Do you purchase from any anyone specifically because they are purpose-led? Yes. And I um when I was CEO at Cornerstone and we had our own, I don't think we called it a CSR policy, but the equivalent of one, we actually built into our procurement processes that we would always um, purchase from a social enterprise, um, assuming, of course, that the quality and the best value, because we're spending charitable funds, was was on an equal footing with any other um, uh, private offering or, or other tender response. So we had some really great partnerships there, and uh, it was our way of supporting other social enterprises. And I would hope we haven't really had the opportunity to have that discussion at Mencap, but because I feel so strongly about it, I'm sure it will it will come uh, once we're through this this um, COVID pandemic. But um, some of the social enterprises that you know I love, uh, some of are dear to my heart because I was involved in um, either their creation or um, their growth and their development at some stage of my career when I worked at Aberdeen Foyer in, in particular. So Foyer Graphics, um, a wonderful graphic design. Uh, a company who've done lots of work for me professionally and personally when I got married they did all my wedding invitations and um, every 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 piece of sort of graphics around around the wedding which is lovely but I've used them a lot in business um, Roadwise Driver Training which is one of the social social enterprises associated with Aberdeen Foyer um, my son learned to to drive with with them in Stonehaven where um, I live. We have the Trading Corner, which is a shop that's run by Cornstone. It's not a charity shop. It is a, a gift shop. And um, I, I try whenever I need a birthday present or a birthday card or doing my Christmas shopping to, to visit them. And of course, we'll, most people may be listening to this uh, interview will know the Social Bite, um, who I'm a great fan of. Homes for Good is another one. I think they're nearly all Scottish, so I'll have to add some English social <laughs> enterprises to that list now I'm living in London. And of course, at Mencap, we have our own, as I mentioned, our own retail um, stores, and we're working really hard at the moment to create an online shopping platform. So I really hope that people will support Mencap and other charities in that way as consumers, because shopping is is going to change isn't it forever absolutely absolutely so that's that's great we'll, we'll, we'll list some of those just to 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 mention some of those resources that's that that's really really interesting um Adele you strike me as a, a calm kind but passionately uh, tenacious in in you know what you want to achieve and, and what you want to deliver what what's next for for you Adele Gosh, I think I've got sort of more than enough on my plate at the moment. As I say, this is still a relatively new job for me, although I've been 
in post now more than 12 months. And because lockdown came so soon after my appointment, um, even though I was just beginning to settle in and I had managed to have visits to Wales and Northern Ireland. And I, of course, had met some colleagues um, in and around uh, the office in London. I, I really haven't had that opportunity to just go out and about and, and engage with and meet and see, you know, firsthand some of the amazing work that uh, colleagues at Mencap do. So that's going to take up, um, I think, a lot of time once we're allowed out again in the in the summer. And because we have just we spent the last year, uh, in addition to managing the pandemic, to developing a really bold ambitious and really exciting new strategy for MENCAP. Um, as I say, we call it our big plan and it officially launches on the 1st of April. Um, and it's a big change for MENCAP. Um, we're dropping our strap line, the voice of learning disability, because we want to be uh, an organization that is less leading and doing and the biggest and so on, and more of a partner, a collaborator, and most importantly, an organization that is genuinely led by people with a learning disability. So we want to create a movement and we're going to be working in very different ways and we're going to be challenging um, the way that social care is, is valued and recognized, particularly in England, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So I think with this, very bold, ambitious, new transformation and new strategy. Um, I think that is going to take up all my energy and passion <laughs> for the next few years. Well, it sounds like you've got um, you've got some amazing stuff coming up, Adele. And you're you're a busy, busy lady. Describe for us your perfect day off. I know you're going between London and Stonehaven. You've got your family. What would it look like? Um, my perfect day off would involve swimming. I love uh, open air swimming. And one of the hardest things for me personally, and this sounds so selfish when so many people have suffered uh, so much, but one of the things I've missed the most is the, you know, when the swimming pools were, were closed. So I'm very fortunate that where the flat is in London, um, just within walking distance, I have the uh, Hornsey Lido. And in Stonehaven, of course, right on my doorstep, I have the most amazing 50 meter saltwater open air swimming pool, which is open from May to, to September every year. And so, a so we're not talking about going me. in the sea, are we? We're not talking <laughs> about running in the sea when it's cold. No, I have done open water swimming in, in locks. I've, I've swum in uh, Loch Lomond and also in a, 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 a lock. Um, near Stonehaven in uh, near Bankery so I have done that but my preference is um, open water in a pool um, and I certainly wouldn't be uh, running into the North Sea I can, <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> I love sea swimming when I'm on holiday of course so yeah perfect day off would be um, not necessarily a hot sunny day because I prefer going to the open air uh, lidos when it's less busy so selfishly, a little bit of rain to uh, deter the crowds <laughs> and um, maybe only half a dozen in the pool, people in the pool and just spending time swimming. And then, of course, the end of that perfect day would be spending time with my wonderful uh, husband and family who are very dear to me. 
Well, Adele, may, may you have many more of those times in that pool and, and we'll do a rain dance to make sure that it's just the perfect conditions for you. Adele, thank you. Th- thanks for everything that you do. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and you've got uh, an amazing plan for the future and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to chat to us. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you.